0: Welcome to a Problem square, the problem-solving podcast, which is a lot like a snowman, in that it's a series of uh, independently assembled pieces, which somehow magically all balance on top of each other in a fantastic structure, (laughs) which is very (laughs) pleasing. I'm joined by Beck Hill, comedian, and a bit like, on a snowman, the carrot, in that eventually she will always reach... A great point. And I am Matt Parker. Are not dissimilar <laughs> to the three pieces of coal on the front of the snowman, in that I am terrible at approximating pie.
1: Also, just to clarify, when you say the three bits of coal, do you mean like yeah. the eyes and the mouth? Or do you mean the buttons? I was or thinking do you buttons. Mean... Okay.
0: <laughs> but you're right. You're right. I think you're right. I, I discounted face coal, of which.
1: Yeah. It, or... And I couldn't. Uh, any other type of frontal coal.
0: I also slammed into my intro without asking, uh, where is there a gender neutral version of snowman? Or is it like human? Snow? I don't think I don't there know. is.
1: I think we just sort of accept that...
0: The snow person sounds so clunky. Yeah. Yeah. There's a problem that we're not going to solve this episode, but <laughs> in this episode, we will solve...
1: How food products are labelled.
0: How much of the tax paid... By someone who works for the government, then pays their own salary.
1: And some. Any other business, nurses.
0: So much any other business, business.
1: Stay tuned.
0: Beck, how are, we, how are you doing this fine middle of March?
1: Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I, I've, I've got some exciting news, Matt. <gasps>
0: That's my favourite type of news.
1: I mean, you already know this. It'd be awkward if you didn't.
0: I'll play along.
1: <laughs> we're gonna be doing our first ever live recording.
0: Yes, that I did not know what exciting news you were leading up to, but I did. Now that you've said it, I did know that news, and I agree it is exciting. We're gonna do this. but we're alive for all of them, for the record.
1: Yeah, we we're we're not doing this posthumous humorously. I I don't know how to say that word.
0: Posthumously. <laughs> you're post humorous. So after you're uh,
1: funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and for the record, we recorded. Post That's it. We don't do a post humorously. Yeah. Because after um, entree. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> we made that mistake one time and, and we were oh, very my tired. Goodness.
0: We were real lethargic. Um, but the difference <laughs> is the audience will be there and the audience will be live.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which Which might be you if you are attending Blue Dot Festival this year. That's the gap I'm leaving for everyone listening to go, and then wave their arms around in the air, celebratory style.
0: We will be on the evening of Friday the 22nd of July. Hey, that's Pi Approximation Day. Oh, that's exciting. 22 over 7. That's roughly Pi. Oh my goodness. Wow. So we'll be playing the evening of Pi Approximation Day. That's pretty exciting. As is Groove Amada. It's us, us and the groove. Are uh, yeah, inter- inter- and no one else are entertaining you on Friday night, and then Bjork on Sunday. So what a festival! Yes,
1: it is a good festival. That's when I will take on my alter ego.
0: Yeah, yeah. Be- beck and, is Bjork. Uh, is what we're trying to say.
1: I used to get that a lot when I had really? my my black hair. Yeah, everyone. Oh uh, you looked more that Bjorkish. That my, I looked more uh. Bjorkish. Uh, if you are going to Blue Dot Festival and you want us to solve one of your problems. You can mention when you go onto the problem posing page that you will be at Blue Dot. Put it in big capitals so we can see it when it comes into a
0: Blue Space Dot. Yep, and then we'll find it.
1: Blue Space Dot,
0: (laughs) and we will. It is a space festival, so it's appropriate.
1: It is. That is true. And uh, and yeah, we might choose. We might choose your problem
0: for people unfamiliar with Blue Dot Festival. It's at Jodrell Bank Radio Observatory, so it's on the site of a massive. Space Radio Telescope. It's a very nerdy festival. It's come to the surprise of no one that we have been booked and we haven't (laughs) at all planned what we're going to do. Hmm.
1: Because we don't have the problems yet, Matt.
0: Yeah. Well, I assume because different podcasts do different things for live, live versions. I assume we're just going to sit down like this, ignore the audience and do a perfectly normal podcast recording. That's my, that's my vision of what's going to (laughs) happen.
1: Well, we only have an hour on stage, and we oh. take
0: <laughs> quite a bit more than <laughs> we, that we to record these. We run way longer <laughs> than that. Okay, right, that's awkward, huh?
1: <laughs> Maybe so, if anyone listening is going to Blue Dot and wants us to do something in particular that is different from yeah, the usual,
0: no, or so we're gonna... you know
1: what, if you're if you want to hear the live episode with a live audience and you want to hear how that is different, you know. Give us a shout. A problem
0: Yeah, yeah we're, we're open to comments, suggestions before and after how you feel about a live recording one. I suspect people will be able to spot when the laugh track stops two thirds of the way through the episode because that's when we got kicked off stage and we had to record the rest of it in the <laughs> green room out the back
1: <laughs> where they get absolutely zero solutions.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So that's uh, good news. Pretty much it. Yeah, good news. Yeah. What about you, Matt?
0: Well, March is famous for the other Pi Day, the Pi Approximation Day on the twenty second of July, twenty two over seven. The other Pi Day is the fourteenth of March because the date three one four. That Pi makes day. more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody. and 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 at the time of recording, I've just unless gotten you write back, it, you know, the correct way. Unless you write way, it the, the correct which way, would yeah, be absolutely, yeah. One
1: four o three.
0: Yeah, it, it would be two zero two two. One, four, zero, three two. So, no wait, no, it would be <laughs> <laughs> If you do it the proper proper way, it's year month day. So that would be two, zero two, two. Ignore all of that. then you got zero, three, and then you got 1, four. So that kind of works. So I'm prepared to allow it, because the ISO standard, year month day, in there somewhere is three, one four, which is pi, which is very exciting. <laughs> so I just got back, I went up to a small town called, I think, Houghton Lee Spring. Some people say Houghton Lee Spring. I don't know the correct pronunciation. It's up north. Different people have very strong, but very different opinions about how things should be pronounced. It's kind of halfway between Durham and Newcastle, for people who know these places. And I went up there because in the late 1800s, that's where the person who calculated pi by hand to the most number of digits lived. And so I went to where they lived. And I tried to calculate pi myself with some help by hand.
1: When you say by hand, do you mean like with your fingers?
0: That's a good point. It's not like by hand and I'm using my hands to operate a calculator. It's like pieces of paper, pens, that's it. Oh, see,
1: I wasn't even thinking pieces of paper. I'm thinking you're holding up your hands in the air and you're like, Oh,
0: to form a circle. One,
1: two, on your fingers, (laughs) three, four. No, I'm making the shapes. So like one person like does you three using your fingers as an abacus.
0: Uh, and someone does like a heart for the decimal point, and there and then
1: Well you uh, said calculating, uh, you're not just displaying it.
0: No, yeah, calculating part. No, as in yeah. we we had a lot of pens, we had a lot of paper.
1: Mm.
0: A lot of paper. There were thirty of us. So, you know, taking it seriously. We ran wa- like, you know, like warning tape. Like, you know, like don't cross this line tape. Yeah, yeah down the down part of the room. And on one side, you were allowed to have calculation devices because we weren't doing any of the actual Pi there. On the other side was the Pi calculation zone and you were not allowed to get out any calculation devices. So if people wanted to check their phone or something, they had to go step out of the calculating arena into (laughs) into the calculation zone, we called it. Our goal was to calculate 100 digits, which is an incredible amount of calculation work, which is why we had 30 people working around the clock for a weekend.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Do you want to know how many digits we got, right?
1: Uh, seven.
0: (laughs) uh, You're not far (laughs) off, both in number and rhyming. We got 11.
1: Uh. (laughs) (sighs) So I bet you did that guy proud.
0: They would be real, real upset. They would be rolling in their grave had their grave not been lost by the council. Yeah. Um, They were buried in the local cemetery in 1882. And in 1970, they bulldozed all the headstones and lost the location and the gravestone for William Shanks, who did the calculation. Him and his wife were buried in the Hillside Cemetery in Houghton. And for unknown reasons... A bulldozer. It was the seventies. The UK were bulldozing everything.
1: You need an archeologist to go in there and, um, find the person who's got all their fingers up in the air.
0: (laughs) 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 Local historian found the headstone in 2010. They did a big dig, not specifically for this one person, but they tried to find all the missing headstones and put them back up, but they don't know where to put them. So they just kind of dotted around the region where they should have been. Yeah,
1: (laughs) so... It's like, it's like knocking over someone's, like, carefully arranged, like... Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. it's like being in an art Dungeons gallery and knocking over a sculpture. Something. Oh, no! You're, you're trying to put it all up. Again. Oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> think the it goes nativity scene back together. Yeah. Be like, oh, I think Jesus was on the horse. <laughs> I
0: can only find two wise men. <laughs> but yeah, but we, um... We put a load of effort into this wow, and, um, had a bunch of error correction and at the end, just messed up on the final, final bit. Oh, there you go. That's really but, disappointing. You know, it was the friends we calculated along the way. That's you know <laughs> the real meaning of Pi Day. If people want to watch us only get 11 digits, the full video is up on my standup mass YouTube channel. Our first problem is from Dennis, who put this into the problem posing page at problemsquared.com. They said that while they were grocery shopping, they noticed that there are some words that may freely be used on products, whereas others can only be used on specific ones. I think Dennis must live in Germany because they've given two German examples. They said the word uh, premium can be used freely. There's no no, I guess no obligation for premium, whereas the German word for chocolate can only be used on certain products. And that's why many products boast they contain chalk choc or choco to get around that. Their problem for you, Beck is I'd like to know more examples which are or are not reserved on food products.
1: Yeah. Um, you know how sometimes I'm like, hey, I don't have much time this episode. I'll pick yeah. something that should be relatively quick.
0: I'm familiar with that from every single episode.
1: <laughs> and I was like... Uh- i was like i'll google reserved definitions yeah for for food labelling that a list will come up and i'll choose some interesting ones to talk about
0: you'll write some jokes based on the list job done
1: oh my goodness i have <laughs> had several phone conversations trying to find this information i have spoken wow. to the food standards agency of course i have, you have spoken to trading standards I have spoken to so many people trying to find this information in an easily accessible way for the public, because all the information out there is for food manufacturers who need to know what they can and can't put on their labels.
0: There's no like listicle to put it all together for the average human.
1: None. Right. So I first tried contacting the uh, press office at the Food Standards Agency. Oh, yeah. They were sort of like, oh yeah, I don't know if we do have that information available ah. in that way. I will uh, go and try and find some and come back to you. And uh, as of the recording, they have not come back.
0: They have not come back to you.
1: No. Um, they
0: don't, don't have very high standards. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> I think they were just a bit surprised that anyone wanted to know. <laughs> I mean, that's
0: that's true of the vast majority of this podcast. <laughs>
1: I spoke to the Chartered Trading Standards Institute to see if they had a list. Cause they were saying, oh, do you want to, did you want to report a, ah, you know, a, a problem, violation, yeah. a violation? Oh my gosh. And look, get this, Matt, it's called a food crime.
0: A what? There's no. There's literally
1: a department called the food crimes unit.
0: No, that's what a kid calls vegetables. <laughs> like. <laughs>
1: On the, on food.gov.uk, there's food crime. Understanding food crime and how to report it.
0: That's, and it's not Uh, like a health thing.
1: So it's Uh, it's all encompassing. So types of food crime include theft, illegal processing, waste diversion, adulteration, substitution, misrepresentation, or document fraud.
0: Those are a lot of food crimes.
1: A lot of food crimes. I want to know where that, like, where's, you've got CSI. (laughs) NCIS. (laughs) Yeah, I want FC Food Crime.
0: Yeah, Food Crime, Sustenance Division.
1: Oh, actually, no. Here it is: the National Food Crime Unit, the NFCU.
0: (laughs) I I would watch the NFCU.
1: I would watch the NFCU.
0: National Food Crime Unit. Then they even use NFCU. Of course they do.
1: So I looked into that. I looked into how you would report it. It's a, they've got law enforcement
0: capabilities. Wow. Yeah. They're like proper food police.
1: They are. They're the food police.
0: So wow. That's
1: incredible. The way that they tend to work though, is that they sort of work within the industry rather than specifically being public facing. Just, just so you know, they also work closely with the Scottish food crime and incidents unit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure they've got a hotline between the two.
1: Yeah. So when I contacted the Food Standards Agency, it was mainly about that because obviously you can report it. Um, but that was when I found out that if it's misrepresentation, if you're trying to report it, you, if you're whistleblowing, you can kind of go straight to them because you, you're you within the industry. You're on the inside. You say yeah. what's happening. But if you're like a consumer and you're saying, oh, I think that this has been misrepresented, then you go through trading standards.
0: Is it like when there's like a hostage situation in a, in American films and the local police are like, ah, oh, no, the feds are here. And then there's like a bit of wrangling between who's got authority. So like oh, yeah. advertising standards, like this is our scene and the NCAA, <laughs> NFC, you are like, oh. we are, we outrank you. <laughs> this oh, is Matt, now, you're jumping uh, ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. Advertising standards. I'll have you know, I've spoken to them and um, they're not really involved. <laughs> that
0: was implied.
1: <laughs> Do you know what? It, w- it wouldn't be so much that they would be trying to get like in as the people on the case. Uh, the yep. advertising standard agency would be there like, oh, this is not our problem. Not our <laughs> you problem. You guys
0: deal with this. <laughs> yeah. so like, they window up and keep driving.
1: They're like, oh, this, this isn't an advert. We're not, we're not involved we're here. Not, nah, this is your, it. this is your thing. So, um, I spoke to the uh, the Trading Standards Institute because they have like advice guides and stuff like that, uh, consumer yep. advice. And I thought they might have a list of the things that you're supposed to conform to, so that as a consumer you know what they should legally be doing, and you can say, "Oh, this is wrong." Someone is should be reporting. Yeah. made aware of that. Uh, they do not have that. They do huh. not have any information on that. They told me to call the advertising standards <laughs> <in> the association, <laughs> which I did. I think,
0: I think you were a pawn in a interdepartment prank.
1: <laughs> like... Oh, it was uh, it was very. Uh, I felt like I was in a Douglas Adams book. I, <laughs> the bureaucracy was fantastic. I. Everyone I spoke to was really, really nice, though. And, and also, I think, just a bit confused because they'd never had this question. <laughs> so <laughs> what I could find is links to all the legislation that each food type has.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness.
1: By the way, during my research, I thought maybe the information is on the Food Standards Agency website. I might be able to find something on there, but it's like hidden amongst other, yeah, so I did a course <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you went and got a qualification
1: i um i I did I literally got a qualification, <laughs> um, so I now have a certificate, I'll let them put wow. it up on uh online it's with my full name because I was like, well, it's official, I don't it's want legit. to say. So it's Rebecca Hill. This is to certify that Rebecca Hill completed the food labeling and e-learning course on the 23rd of February That's 2022. Um, I tried to save the image because it's like embedded on a web page. Oh. And it it but it's like in, within the web page. And so I went to view source and it's yeah. just like all the elements that make the certificate. Oh, it's all layered up. It's like a blank just, version. Yeah. So if anyone wants one of these certificates. <laughs>
0: And you know how to edit HTML. I can save all the elements.
1: (laughs) I can save all the elements. You just chuck your name in. (laughs) That's Um,
0: exactly how qualifications work.
1: As someone who didn't go to uni, I'm quite chuffed now that I've got another qualification.
0: That is great. Uh,
1: Tell you what, though. Didn't learn a huge amount. I learned some. I I learned that when it comes to food labeling, uh, there's three different types, which is the Uh, You're going to love this. The fancy name.
0: Right. So The The name name, when it's in trouble.
1: The fancy name is when the brand for the food is so well known that even though it doesn't tell you what it is, you know what it is. So, for instance, Coca-Cola. Oh, okay. When you have the fancy name, you don't have to say specifically what it is on the name of the food but you have to have a description so it will say something like
0: carbonated drink or something yeah but you don't have
1: to have so like on the
0: main label coca cola open brackets in case you didn't know it's a drink
1: <laughs> that's right yeah so you don't need, you don't need that that's for fancy name there's the legal name which is brings us back to this problem that's what this is mainly about where say chocolate cheese beef you know that's the legal name. That's the I'm imagining the label that's for one it.
0: food product you just described.
1: Uh there's oh don't even get me started on the rules for combination foods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, boy. Uh
0: ne- never get the off-brand chocolate cheese beef.
1: That's right. <laughs> it's like that uh, when they fed all those recipes into the into the generator. They called oh, yeah. it AI, but mm. it was it was a generator. This um idiot. and then there's the customary name. So, the customary name is when it's not a brand, but it doesn't need to be the legal name. So, for instance, a Bakewell tart. Oh. You know, people know Oh, okay. What, yeah. I believe Cornish pasty is one.
0: I was not going to say meat-filled pastry sack. They can just yeah. say <laughs> yeah. Cornish, Cornish pasty. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, I know, I know what that is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, I, did, I learned some stuff like that. I learned those sort of things. But getting back to Dennis or Denise, their problem, they wanted to know what the reserved descriptive names are. So these affect a whole bunch of different things. I won't go through them all because we'll be on this forever, but bottled water, bread and flour, cocoa and chocolate products, fat and oils, fish, fruit juices and nectars, honey, Hmm. jam and similar products, products containing meat, milk and milk products, soluble coffee and sugary extracts, and specified sugar products.
0: Is this similar to like, like reserved geographic names, like cheddar cheese or champagne?
1: Oh, oh, Matt. Oh boy. It's very similar to that.
0: But it's not, not not quite the same.
1: Yeah. So this isn't, this isn't the same because that, what you're describing is... Protected Geographical Food and Drink Names. Right. And you can find out about that from the government website. This is UK government, by the way. I should say this, this is all what I've been able to find to do with the UK because I'm not going to go international. I'm sorry, Germany. You can't
0: afford the international <laughs> dialing.
1: I can't, no. So um, the, the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs is what you're after, or DEFRA for short. I guess that would be like the Marvel version of like the TV show. <laughs> if you've got right. the food crime unit. Yeah. And so you it's have a Defra. different,
0: different police squad, different food enforcement <laughs> spinoff. Yeah, okay, okay, right, but right. they
1: kind of all work together. Yeah. So the protection types are uh, protected geographical indication. If it says it's from a particular place, it has to be from that place. The protected right. designation right, right, right. of origin, one of the processes in Making the food has to take place in that right, right, right. in that, in that so area. If you were to make a Cornish pasty, you can make it using ingredients from other places, but it would need to be made in. You got to make um, it that in that Cornwall. sort of right. Okay, right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, then there's the traditional specialty guaranteed. That's like if you've been making cheese for 50 years, so you get to have your special logo on there to say that it's like a traditional thing.
0: And some of these must become generic. It's a bit like, like, a, like a, a a brand name like Hoover or Kleenex has been used so much, it just becomes a generic phrase. Like cheddar, like cheddar cheese. Is that like anyone can make a cheddar, even if they're not in the cheddar region?
1: Right. So it looks like the word cheddar itself, anyone can say cheddar. You don't have to right, be in cheddar. Generic. Gotcha. But there are some, so there's one here that is a protected food name with protected designation of origin, and that is West Country Farmhouse Cheddar Cheese.
0: Oh, So that okay. is registered
1: that it, it it is made by West Country Farmhouse Cheddar Cheese. And then there's another, which is Orkney Scottish Island Cheddar. And that is a protected geographical oh, that's, indication. That's
0: the opposite corner of the UK.
1: Yeah. It, those are more to do with almost brands. In fact, you can look at registered names from around the world that work in the UK. So I looked up Australia, oh, you know.
0: Like Barossa Valley or something, maybe.
1: That's right. Yeah. So there's over 5,000 products in the database. Uh, when I plugged in Australia, 66 come up. Oh, and
0: okay. That's fewer. all
1: of them are the same type of product.
0: Oh, let me guess. Are they all wine-based?
1: A hundred percent all wine-based, correct. Oh, the only, the only type of food that that we uh, have registered with the UK is, um, they're all wine-based. Yeah.
0: But then what what we're talking about here is closer to like food like ingredient fraud, where you're claiming by in the title that you're using certain ingredients and potentially you're not.
1: Totally. So going back to the chocolate example that Dennis uses in their problem. Here, for something to legally be classified as chocolate, it needs to consist of 35% total cocoa solids and 14% dry, non-fat cocoa solids and 18% cocoa butter. So it needs to have minimum of huh. those percentages for it to legally be classified as chocolate. That's reassuring. And uh, if you want milk chocolate, you only need 20% dry cocoa solids, but you need 20% dry milk solids. So. And uh, milk in itself, at the moment, milk is legally, within the UK, needs to be something that came from an animal that was milked, essentially. (laughs) So, Oh, okay. Because I was thinking,
0: what are they cutting milk with? But no, it's just to use the milk descriptor. Yeah. It needs to have been milked out of something.
1: Yeah. So there was a big uproar about it, actually. I remember a couple of years ago, because you and I both use uh, um, a, a brand of oat milk.
0: Oat milk? That, but we can't we say oat like, milk, apparently. But yeah.
1: we, we can't say oat milk. And I hadn't even picked up on this because I remembered when it first came out that it was called oat milk. And then I was like, what? They can't use milk. But I swear they have that on the packaging. And if you look it up, I went through to my kitchen, took out a carton. It's oat drink.
0: Oat drink.
1: doesn't say milk. They've had to take milk off the...
0: Oh, could they put, like, milk substitute?
1: No. No, they can't have the word milk because it... it wow. Um, you can't even have,
0: like... Not milk. No,
1: because there's oh. a whole thing where you have to define it by what it is, not what it isn't. So you can't That's say, and it gets really messy because I, obviously for years, I mean, there is a brand called I Can't Believe It's Not Butter.
0: I can't believe that title's not legal.
1: Yeah. The standards change so much from case to case that I don't think they'd be able to keep it updated because it's yeah. really confusing. Even when it comes to things like, For something to be said that it's been fortified with vitamins, there is no specified minimum limit of vitamins. All it says is it has to have a significant amount as declared by the Food Standards Agency.
0: So it's classic ambiguity to cover edge cases. They're just like, it's got to have enough. And then if it ever comes to a court case, then they'll get down to the nitty gritty of what's significant.
1: Exactly. Milk chocolate, you would have to say milk, right? So you couldn't have vegan milk chocolate. You can have vegan chocolate because chocolate in itself doesn't have to have milk or or animal products. It just has to have a certain amount of cocoa, basically. Is this,
0: because I thought it was an urban legend, but maybe this is true. Is this why places like McDonald's and other fast food places have a thick shake, not a milkshake? Because I always heard, like the urban legend was there's not enough dairy in a thick shake to be called a milkshake. I don't know if you stumbled across this in your, uh, your, your phoning didn't around. I actually
1: not come across that at all. Because
0: it's that one and Fruit Loops. Fruit is spelt F-R-O-O-T because there's no fruit yeah, in a there fruit. There was actually
1: loop. legal cases. There was legal cases against Fruit Loops and Captain, Captain Crunch Crunch Crunchberries cereals for suggesting that they had fruit in them. And they... Huh. Um, but fruit lips are fine. Basically, they They're were fine. they were found to be fine because it, there's nothing in the spelling or the the packaging to suggest that there's any real fruit in it whatsoever.
0: But I'll tell you, <laughs> right. who did
1: get in trouble? Tesco, they oh, and I in fact, quite a packaging. lot of supermarkets have done this. Quite a lot, as do Aldi, Marks and Spencer, loads of them. But Tesco, in particular, basically they um. Created a sort of in house brand. So, using Tesco as an example, they had Woodside Farms for their Tesco value brand. You know, all oh, the, the meat was from Woodside Farms. Not a farm. Yep. Not a farm. No, no. It's <laughs> just, they just had a brand called Woodside Farms. Oh. And so everyone was like, oh, that sounds nice. It's nope. And then uh, a real farm, singular, called Woodside Farm that does do. Oh,
0: and they are a farm.
1: Yeah, and they would do proper, you know, free-range pigs. They would sort of sell from the farm direct to sort of local butchers and that sort of thing. Yeah, when Tesco brought out and they're like, "Oh, Woodside Farms." Everyone was like, "What?" And they were like, "Nope, that's not us." So, the National Farmers Union filed an official complaint with the Trading Standards.
0: I would think that Tesco could both come up with an original name for a farm and Probably afford a farm. Just get buy a small farm <laughs> and just drive your lorries through it. <laughs> All right, and they just hit
1: the animals.
0: Tick and <laughs> no, it's like just like everything goes through, you know, Tesco Valley Farm or whatever they're gonna, you know.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, they could. They probably do.
0: Not to give evil ideas to a corporation, but that feels like an easy No. But maybe, maybe at that level of audacity, they're like, screw it. Let's just come up with a fake name and pretend.
1: So I thought I'd um, run a couple of other different examples past you. For instance, I learnt this. Do you know what the difference between fruit juice and fruit nectar is?
0: Oh, is it like pulp?
1: Mm, it can be.
0: Is it a density thing? Mm, sort of. Viscosity.
1: No, I think I think you're thinking too specific. Does it need
0: the involvement of an insect? Sugar content. Needs to be aged in a barrel. Has to no. come from the nectar region of Spain. It's got to be at least 20% neck.
1: <laughs> well, let's make it easy for you, Matt. What do you think specifies a fruit juice?
0: I mean, a fruit juice, okay, a fruit juice needs to be an extract from some kind of fruit and then diluted with it. Oh, is it dilution? Is it fruit juice? You can add water and nectar is the all the moisture has to come from the fruit?
1: Other way round. Oh, no. Yes, yeah, so close. Oh. So fruit juice is so literally the juice from the fruit, right? That is it.
0: Right, Was nectar...
1: You can do a couple of different things to fruit juice, but um, uh, just you, you can know, reconstitute please. it from
0: concentrate or whatever. Yeah.
1: No, no, that is a oh. different name.
0: Re- oh, of course. That
1: is, is reconstituted from concentrate is fruit juice from concentrate.
0: Oh, okay. It's just got a longer name. Okay, got it.
1: Yeah. But for it to be just fruit juice, it is the juice from the fruit. Right. I thought fruit nectar sounded like it would actually be more pure, like it would be like a. Yeah. It does sound more legit, but I tell you what, fruit nectar is the product that is obtained by adding water to any of the following. Fruit juice, fruit juice from concentrate, concentrated fruit juice, water (laughs) extracted fruit juice, dehydrated fruit juice, powdered fruit juice, fruit puree, concentrated puree, or any mixture of the products mentioned above.
0: Wow. So if... I have guests around, and say, "Would anyone like, in, in the suite of beverages available, anyone want some fruit nectar? I can give them a glass of water with a handful of sultanas thrown in there, and job done."
1: <laughs> uh, actually, didn't nectar... say fruit. Nut no, fruit was not one of those options. Fruit <laughs> wasn't an option. Oh goddamn! You'd have I to juice the sultanas the raisins. in there overnight. <laughs> yeah, that's would probably oh, work, okay. actually. It's high ice- school. <laughs>
0: okay, good, good, good. But don't milk them. That's a whole different thing.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, I've got another one for you. Do you know what the difference between natural mineral water and spring water is? Oh, and hey, let's say bottled drinking water. Do you know what the difference is between those three?
0: Well, I know in America, particularly, you get bottled drinking water as just municipal tap water in a bottle. I Correct. suspect mineral water, the water can be from anywhere you've got to have mixed in a certain level of soluble things. And I'm guessing spring water has to have literally like come out of the ground. You're probably going to tell me 12% of it has to have come out of a rock and the rest can be, you know, (laughs) tap water.
1: You're close. So both mineral water and spring water Mm. must come from an underground source tapped at a natural or drilled exit. Right. They must both be free of parasites and bacteria. Which cause disease?
0: That's just true of most food.
1: That's true. That is a good point. They must I be feel bottled like that's just at a, a spring... blanket
0: statement. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it shouldn't be. Uh, it, no shouldn't be in there, it should be. It should just be. Is my rule understood. of thumb. Yeah. Why they had
0: to specify that specifically for water makes me a little concerned. But carry on.
1: It must be bottled at a spring or borehole. The spring or borehole must be protected from pollution. Hey, that's my nickname this is you when, I start... when we're off air. <laughs> that is what I say. Uh,
0: borehole. <laughs> shove, it, shove it in your borehole, she says.
1: I do not protect your borehole from pollution. so <laughs> no, <that's not> <laughs> So natural mineral water has to keep its original purity. So it means the properties have stayed the same from source to bottling. Spring water hmm. doesn't, so it can change. It doesn't have to remain stable. It also means that, obviously, you can add things to spring water but you can't add things to natural mineral water right yeah so those are sort of the main main differences there but again that all affects on whether you can say something if you're going to sell water you have to say whether it's natural mineral water spring water or bottled water and it has to fit into those things um jam is a fascinating one jam has more rules than than any of the other ones I found jam, jam, jam. So Ah. you need a certain amount of fruit in order for it to be classified as jam, like per kilogram. Right. So, uh, it changes depending on the type of fruit that you're making the jam from. So for instance, passion fruit jam, obviously not very common. You only need 60 grams of passion fruit in a kilogram. Yeah of jam in order for it to be classified as passion fruit. There's uh cashew apples, specifically cashew apples, weirdly, uh, mm. ginger, red currant, black currants, rosehip, rowan berries, sea buckthorns or quinces. All those, basically all the specialty fruits, 250 grams or under any other fruit, your, your main ones, strawberry, raspberry, yep, that raspberry. sort of stuff. Throw 350 down. grams you need. Huh. No, black currant. Blackcurrant is 250 grams.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: There is also a product called Extra Jam, which is where you need way more. So you would have to have 450 grams of strawberries per kilogram. So you'd need to have almost 50% strawberry in Extra Jam. Half
0: strawberry, half sugar.
1: Jelly has the exact same because let's face it, the jelly is jam. I'd be interested to test the jam that goes in donuts when they say jam donut because i Definitely don't think that they're made with that much. Oh,
0: well, you are now qualified to, you know, speak on such matters.
1: Yeah, If there's any listeners who works within the baking industry and makes jam donuts, can you tell us where you get the jam from and That's what the ingredients are? I'm interested to see whether it classified as, whether it's classified yeah. as jam.
0: We want to get right to the center of this jam donut.
1: Oh. And a final interesting thing that I found during this massive quest that I've been on was the way that eggs are labeled. So free range, I was sort of already aware of free range. They have to have continuous daytime access to open air runs, access to ground, mainly covered with vegetation. And there needs to be at least four square meters of ground available per bird. Okay yeah and then there's like requirements in relation to their housing and fittings and things like that, so it's still a not not a huge amount of space, but it's the best if you're looking for you know mass produced eggs,
0: yeah, not terrible but, eggs, yeah,
1: yeah, but barn eggs this is where it got me barn eggs all they have to do they have to be provided with at least fifteen centimetres perch space per hen, plenty that's like. <laughs> that's like saying, like I've that's less had than a chicken. pet chickens, they're barely 15 centimetres. Yeah. So that that's like the space that you get when you're on the tube at peak, like rush hour. They have to have floor space providing at least one square metre for every nine chickens.
0: I mean, that's 30 centimetres just over that
1: That's like squared per yeah, chicken. Yeah, it's like roughly a square foot per chicken. Hey, Which is way more Again, than
0: their perch space. Again, that's like the space. size
1: of yeah. a chicken. Yeah. More than a perch space, but like... <laughs> <laughs> not, not much. Not by much. So yeah, that just like, that blew my mind because barn eggs occasionally, yeah, if misleading. there's no free fresh, yeah. yeah, if there's no free range, I'm like, oh, barn, that doesn't sound too, you imagine like there's big barns, like the big red ones that you might have a toy figurines of the kid or whatever.
0: So you, you think the eggs are from the Midwest of America? They're basically
1: battery ones. They're just not oh, in a cage.
0: No, nah, barn, barn's bad. Like, oh, uh, don't worry. We shoved these chickens in a dark shed. And now they're barn.
1: Yeah. So there's loads of stuff like that out there. Unfortunately, I mean, as far as I know, this is the only time it's all been put into one place.
0: (laughs) That is amazing. I mean, Beck, you've done an incredible amount of research. You've phoned people. You've got a qualification. You've, You've pushed out what it means to solve a problem. I can honestly say I'm a little bit extra jelly about the amount of effort you've put into this. (laughs) So, (laughs) and given, uh, Denise, Dennis, uh, only said, you know, what are some words that are reserved? I think I can very happily give you a preemptive free range ding that that is a problem solved.
1: Thank you. It's time for a dinglet. That is a, a, a little problem. Got a little problem for you, Matt. John wants to know how much of a public servant's salary is paid by their own taxes?
0: That's, I mean, really interesting. You're right. Because if you're a public servant, you're paid by the government, but then you have to give back the money to the government that they then use to pay you and I guess other people as well. <laughs> and I, I, I assume there's no easy way to cut out the middle person, like just reduce my salary by my tax. I, I, I get, obviously it's got to circulate through all the, all the right ways. And so uh, I thought I'd very quickly run the numbers for John and i may be biased as having worked as a teacher being paid by the government i thought i would look at teacher salaries to see if you're a teacher how much of your tax is paying for your own teaching salary teaching salaries in the uk if you're just like a standard classroom teacher you'll start on about 25700 pounds at the moment and you'll cap out at just shy of 37000 uh, pounds which is roughly 35000 us dollars up to about 50000 us dollars you're then going to be paying some tax on that. I thought I'd take someone who's capped out at the top of that. So they're, they're, they're on 36, almost 37,000 pounds. They're going to pay just shy of 5,000 pounds in tax of a year. And the UK government budget is 842 billion pounds. Now, yes. That money comes from different places. It doesn't all come from income tax. Obviously, there are different types of taxes. They can borrow money. They can finance it all sorts of unusual ways, up to and including just printing some money because, as we know, money is made up. However, we still know the percentage of the total budget which came from our hypothetical teacher's salary tax, and it's roughly zero point zero 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 six percent if you're earning a pretty standard amount of money in the UK, 0.0000006% of the government spending came from your taxes, and then you just work out that percentage of the teacher's pay. And so my generic you know, civil servant working for the government of a year, 0.02 pence comes from their own taxes. 2% of a penny, give or take, comes from, comes from your own tax that you paid, so not,
1: not much. It really takes the uh, authority out of, I pay your taxes, you know.
0: (laughs) If you are a teacher, and at this point I was like, you know what, I'll look up the, the, like the average salary across the UK, which is normally given as the median salary. So roughly half the UK who earn a salary earn under 31,280 pounds and half people who earn a salary earn above that which is subtly different to the household income, which is disposable income post-tax per household. That's worked out differently. It's actually quite hard to get an approximate mean average salary because it gets dragged up by high earners on the order of 38600 But in reality, it's probably a bit lower.
1: Uh, what a way to find out that you've been under yeah, well, a... Well, um, I mean,
0: life. that's why you don't use mean because mean is deceptively high because... The people earning more than it, like you drag it up more from the high earners than the low earners drag it down. So it's a skewed average. Uh,
1: I thought that's what the average, uh, no, that's where, isn't it? If there's like, if nine people earn yep. one pound and then one earns 10 pounds.
0: Then the average is like two pounds. Yeah. Oh, cause you
1: divide. Uh,
0: so that's why you, you will it. almost. Yep.
1: No, hang on, wait, no, because then you would the mean would be like one pound. Wouldn't
0: no, it? the the the, the mean like would be like a, a pound world. ninety. The median would be a pound. Yeah. Oh,
1: I'm thinking the median. I'm and thinking the median. Median is the Sorry. one you will
0: always see median used when you're looking at salary and household income and all these things. But I was I thought if you're a teacher and you're looking out at your class of students and you're thinking about their parents. It turns out the number of taxpayers it takes to contribute a whole penny to a teacher's salary is somewhere in the 40 to 60 range of parents. And given class sizes and average number of legal guardians, that's about the number of parents of a class of students. And so it turns out almost exactly if you're a teacher and you look at your class, all the tax paid by all their parents, contributes pretty much one penny to your annual salary. So it's worth remembering on parent-teacher night, if there's any, we pay your salary, etc. an entire class's worth of salaries of parents is one penny of your annual salary. So there you are. That's, there's a fun fact. I give <laughs> you your dings. I will accept 0.02 of a ding per annum.
1: Percentage of your ding. <laughs>
0: B, it's time for
1: any other
0: business. And we've got a few bits in today.
1: Yeah, we've got one from uh, Jack. This is in response to episode 027, where we talked about postcodes and Scrabble. And they said, the UK has a referencing system for every property, including individual flats slash postboxes slash structures, even Oh, Stonehenge, you know the one. I mean, that's got less than
0: 20% stone in it, (laughs) so they had to change the name.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Even that place, (laughs) cool. Uh, um, The UK referencing system is uh, called the UPRN, or Universal Property Reference Number. They can be up to 12 digits long. And unlike the postcode data set, which is owned by Royal Mail, the data set is open data, licensed under the open government license.
0: I didn't realize Royal Mail owned postcodes. That's interesting.
1: Hmm. I wonder if that means if they privatize it, then companies can own where we oh, live. Oh man!
0: We also had, uh, well, more feedback on the Scrabble postcode thing. Oh, and all everyone who said they count as proper nouns or something, we're discounting all of those comments because the whole conceit of the question was it's a game where you can play postcodes. So they count just by definition. Jonah, however, has a very interesting point that when I was talking about the postcodes, I wasn't factoring in letter distribution. And they have pointed out that a lot of my winning options were illegal because there's only one Q, there's only one Z. And Jono, you're you're completely correct. I mean, and as they point out, I upheld the seven tile limit, but I totally ignored the letter distribution. So, I mean, I think they've got a very good point. I'm going to say that this new version of Postcode Scrabble has a different... Let it just. Distrib- oh, I was using the points from the normal one. I don't think I can talk my way out of it. Well done, Jono. You're right. I th- I I should be undinged.
1: I think you get an honorary. What day, is an least.
0: unding? Gnid.
1: Yeah, gnid.
0: Gnid. I I I'm, I will accept. Well, it
1: should be nid. Should be the g is silent. Sil- silence. Yeah. <laughs> nid.
0: I will accept my knitting. Yeah. That I did not factor in. I did not factor in <laughs> tile distribution.
1: And we just wanted to give a shout out to Ken Floor, whose problem we're not solving, but finished their problem with Best Wishes Warmest Dings. (laughs) That made us laugh. I
0: mean, they were trying to reopen the How Far Can You See thing, and we're not touching it. But I do love Best Wishes Warmest Dings. Yeah.
1: It's very sweet. It's very, very cute. Speaking of some nice feedback, we did also get some reviews.
0: Yes. On iTunes. Thank you. By username... Artistic Penguin ha! They may have made this account Just to review our podcast They've given us five stars The title of their review is Came for Matt, stayed for Beck <laughs> oh, Thank you very much Which of us comes off better in that description? <laughs> huh <laughs> Interesting uh, They say They don't listen to many podcasts But they keep up to date with A Problem Squared Good work Artistic Penguin
1: and, uh, we have another review from Dom Davis and I love this cause Dom has written this as if it's copy for our bio. They say a problem shared is a problem <laughs> halved, but share your problem with Beck and Matt and your problem will be squared. I mean, that's if the If you joke. like random problems solved in innovative or sometimes downright bonkers way, then this is for you. And if you want your shared problem to be halved and squared, simply provide square root 0.5 of a problem.
0: Okay. That is, that is, that joke is rigorous. That's, you know. Uh, ac- yeah, factually accurate. They went to a
1: lot of effort. Thanks, Dom.
0: You square it and you get a half. It's pretty good.
1: And we should probably thank our three random Patreons.
0: Yes, thank you to everyone who sponsors on Patreon because of the fantastic Patreon people. You're now getting two episodes a month ish. There's one every two weeks, which is actually slightly more than two a month. You're welcome. Specifically, you should thank
1: either Jean Louise Fuchs or Jean Louis Fuchs, d- depending on how you read it. <laughs>
0: Thanks to both of them, Uh, Simon (laughs) Hudden
1: and Stephen Hart
0: or Stepan Hart. You have been listening to A Problem Squared, a podcast made by us, Matt Parker and Beck Hill. And of course, our producer, we've got Lauren (laughs) Armstrong-Carter. Uh, back of these, are any of these ones your card? Hang
1: on. <laughs> the backs of them are maybe. <laughs> no.
0: Ah, interesting. That rules out half of those.